Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now everybody welcome to another episode of creators outlet today we're joined by our special guest carla nappy carla welcome thank you thanks for having me oh thanks for coming on because otherwise i would have been just watching fringe for like the ninth time tonight so i love that show oh. i did a little binge of it uh, back when i was still living in california with my husband it's such a great show oh yeah uh, my friend whose house I was renting a few years back uh, with my daughter when she was young, he was like, you watch Fringe, right? I go, what's that? He's like, come oh, sit yes. down. <laughs> and I watched like I watched like the first five seasons in like two days. Yeah, yeah. It's, Walter is our favorite character. That's oh, like- oh, there is there is no other perfect actor <laughs> to play that part than him. Absolutely. You know, and it's just weird when I see him in another role and I'm like... Why? What's wrong with Walter? It's exactly, like, exactly how I feel. I'm like, where's Walter? <laughs> you know, because I've seen just about everybody else on the show and in other roles over the years. But, you know, he is Walter. He was, yeah, he, he stole the show every time he was on camera. You know, he, he stole it in the in the pilot episode mm-hmm. when they, you know, they get him released from, from the mental asylum. And they're, they're driving down the road and they hit a couple of bumps and he blurts something out, which I can't remember right now. And, you know, Peter's like, goes, Walter, what's the matter? I think I've just pissed myself. <laughs> and I'm like, I love this show. I love the show. Yeah, it's great. Well, I, I love that Peter always called him Walter, too, because it just mm. kind of set the tone for their relationship right off the bat. Yeah. It was it it was just a and and Leonard Nimoy's in there playing yes. kind of kind of a bad guy and I'm like okay <laughs> this is a legit sci-fi show because it's got somebody from Star Trek in it yeah exactly exactly he was a big get at the time when they got him I remember it was like oh, yeah. they, they had to court him I think to convince him <laughs> quite a bit I'm sure yep I remember I got to meet him uh, in Boston well I didn't get to like get an autograph or anything because his father had just passed away. But he was in town for the family and of course his whole family's from Boston. And uh, so he was in town anyway. So we agreed to, you know, meet his agreement. But all he did was tell us, tell the entire crowd about his growing up in Boston. So it was like a, it was a Nimoy, it was a Nimoy history lesson. And yeah, you know, so it was just it was just really cool being in the room and getting to hear, you know, how certain things developed in his career and, you know, family and how his dad got him hooked on photography and which, of course, led him into, you know, filmmaking and everything else. So it was just a lot of fun. OK, I'm done rambling. Let's <laughs> talk about the duplicate. <laughs> 
Well, just just a sidebar to Nimoy, there's, I think it's the game Civilization that he did the voiceovers for that my husband loves of all the Civilization games. Yeah, and up and up until he passed, he did all the voiceovers for himself on the uh, on Cryptic Star Trek Online game. Oh, that's fabulous! So you get to uh, there was there was a big thing with him one year. It was like the the fifth anniversary or something, and mm -hmm. they put him in as you know as the next generation version of himself. Right. So you <laughs> so you you had to go to and. You had to go to Ambassador Spock, and right. it was like an interaction between, you know, cut scenes between you and and Leonard Nimoy. So I'm like, oh, that this is great. That's awesome. So it was, it was a, it's a lot of fun. So uh, tell us how you got started. I know you have a uh, quite a prestigious background. You've done just about everything up to this point. <laughs> You've you've worked in in Hollywood doing you know screenwriting and all kinds of all kinds of cool stuff that I dreamt of doing when I was young and then just then you know just started buying a whole bunch of comic books, <laughs> which has paid off in the long run. But you know it has paid off in the long run. Um, I started I started out in TV pretty pretty young. I would say in high school. I got into the entertainment stuff. I There was a media TV class that my high school teachers were running and I was the first girl that went through all three years of the program. I actually still keep in touch with those teachers because they're just awesome human beings. And my whole journey in TV, I feel like, is what led me into doing comics. So, you know, I went to NYU, I was lucky enough to get into there. And then I worked in TV and film on both coasts. I worked on set on movies like Michael Clayton and Duplicity, uh, Rescue Me, million different TV shows. And then I was trying to figure out a way to market myself for staff writing to make myself stand out from the crowd. And I had just at that point started going to comic conventions it took a little convincing from one of my friends for me to go. And of course, the minute I went, I was like, I've been missing out on this my whole life. I don't know why I wasn't doing this from the time I was a child. And so I was just trying to like immerse myself in that world. And one of those things I did was take a class at Meltdown Comics, which is where I met Ryland and uh, Steve Prince and Jeff Leeds and all those guys who I sent all my scripts to that I write for my comic books so that I can make sure that they, you know, they make sense, they track, <laughs> they're not like, I don't need to throw them out and start over again. And yeah, I just fell in love with the medium. I was like, wow, because, you know, I focused on editing at first and then I got into screenwriting. I would read every draft of everything as the script coordinator on all these shows. And I feel like just that immersion in that world is what helped me be able to even attempt to write such an intense medium as comics. You know, it's a, it's a medium I wanted to go into with respect of how difficult it can be. And that was one of the reasons why I decided to do classes before even putting pen to paper. Well, let me tell you, as a kid that grew up in the seventies and, uh, never saw a girl near a comic book rack about 15 years ago i walked into uh boston comic-con and i went with like two or three friends and i knew a couple of the dealers so you know we got in for free uh and you know we got in for free we had to you know help him out like work in the booth for when he wanted to you know take you know, take breaks and go around and buy stuff for himself or whatever. Right. He, he, he would just, you know, page one of us or he'd, he'd have a couple of the pretty girls that worked his booth, you know, <laughs> go look for us because they knew we were in artist alley, like, you know, hanging out, <laughs> drooling over right. art or something. So they go, he's going to dinner. Okay, I'll be right there. <laughs> with the you accent, know, but, I love it, with the accent. You know, you know but it, it was 100% worth it, you know, because who wants to pay like 40 or 50 dollars to get in to get into a comic book convention that's why i i never wanted to go to an amusement park like i never wanted to go to disney i go why would i pay disney a hundred dollars just so i could walk around <laughs> and now i don't walk around because i'm i i had medical issues and in, in 2016 i ended up in a 
in a coma and now I'm in a wheelchair. So, you know, I'm just going to, why? I'm going to charge up my wheelchair to roll around Disney. I'm like, no. Oh, well, we got it. Once those theme parks are back open again, then we got to hook up one of our Disney friends to get you a free pass because that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't, I don't go out. I don't go out much and. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a big ride person. My stomach stays up here at the top of the hill yeah. of the roller coaster. I'm the and, same. And the rest of me goes down, and then <laughs> yeah. something bad happens if I eat beforehand. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you know. Yeah, I'm the same. <laughs> you know, a big, you know, a big scary ride for me is going on like one of the water rides. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like exactly. I'll do, I'll do like Splash Mountain all day. Or, you know, go on like the sky lift, like the like the ski lift. Yep. yep. Where are you going? I'm going on the ski lift. Why are you going on the ski lift? <laughs> I go, because it's right about my speed. Yeah, or the little train that goes around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm just going to sit like at the end of the train and, you know, just relax. And, you know, I just want to chill out. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do anything too exciting. I don't think my doctor would approve it. Uh oh. Well, I mean, there's not <laughs> a reason to do it to get him excited. Oh yeah. Well, I think I'm fine with it, but you know, any excuse to not put my life in danger, everybody's for. So. Yeah. That's especially these days. You know, my my daughter's a teenager now too, so that's a whole. Oh Godspeed! My that's sister all. has three kids, and two of them are teenagers, so I know what that's like. <laughs> I went from having. Such a sweet, loving daughter to, you're stupid. <laughs> I'm like. With the eye roll, right? She's got to like add the eye oh, roll. Oh, I don't even have to be looking. I can hear the eye roll. <laughs> you know, because it's the same eye roll I gave my mother when I was her age. Yep. <laughs> so I'm like, I go, look, haven't I suffered enough already? Do I, do I have oh, to no. keep getting hit with the. With with mom's curse, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but, teenagers don't care about that stuff. They're just no, they don't. It. I'm like, I go, well, if I if I'm alive for like the next 15 years or so, she should like come back around because girls usually, you know, <laughs> make sure dad's okay, and boys usually make sure mom's okay. Right, right. You know, I'm like, okay. So, you know, hopefully that'll all, that'll all fall into play. So tell us how uh, Duplicate came about. Uh, so Duplicate was originally a pilot script. And I, there was this one scene that I was thinking about adapting into just a single issue comic book at the time. So the character of Pamela was originally just supposed to be uh, in a scene, one scene, and that was it in the script. And so when I started to adapt that into a comic book, I quickly realized that her character needed much more story space than just a one-off issue to do it justice. And then as I was falling in love with writing this medium and being involved in this medium, I was like, well, in this world, my only obstacle is money, which is still a big obstacle, but it's a, it's a lower bar than the obstacles that I was facing and getting any traction in film and TV. And so I said, let me see what I can do and see how I can make this happen. And so I took these two writing classes at Meltdown and developed the whole thing into an actual comic book series. The first issue was workshopped a lot uh, at the store. And then Vince Hernandez, who was my editor on the first issue, helped me out even more to refine it and polish it. And then it was just a hunt for an artist. I actually had an, a different artist before Mariana. Uh, he was based in the U.S., but he didn't want to listen to any of my notes, which didn't work out very well. Like I remember we had approved a test page, like we were still at the test page and we finally got it hammered out, you know, and then he decided he didn't like what I had approved, threw it out and completely redrew it. And I was like, but <laughs> like, I don't like the new version you did. Like what is happening? I liked what we worked out. No yeah this isn't your book 
Yeah. And, and, and you're not, and you're not Jack Kirby. So. Well, that was, that was just it. I was just like, I respect artists. I come from a family of artists. My dad's a graphic designer. My great uncle uh, is Rudy Nappy who did all the covers for Nancy Drew and Hardy boys. You know, my mom is an artist. Like I, I still have, have some of those covers. Yeah. Uh, so I have like, I have nothing but respect for artists, but I was just like, at the time I didn't, hadn't really found my confidence and my, voice yet and I remember my teacher Jim Higgins was like you need to stand up to him like he's screwing you over he's not treating you right he's taking advantage of the fact that you're a woman and he's trying to walk all over you he's like you need you need to speak up and when I did he was just like I don't want to be involved in this anymore and so then I was back to square one trying to find a new artist and Ryland helped me out with finding Mariana who's been with the book ever since and is amazing. I mean, her facial work is what sells the story. If, if I hadn't found her, you know, the book wouldn't exist. And you, you were successful putting it out through, through Kickstarter. And then you caught, then you caught the eye of second well, flight. Actually, the, so the first issue I, I self-funded, I was working two jobs at the time. And so that's how I had the money to pay for the first issue. Mm -hmm. And I had gotten a publisher pretty quickly early on, but that ended up not working out. But that was one of the reasons there was a big lag between the first and the second issue. So once I got the rights back, then the second issue, by that point, uh, I had like just given birth to my son and we were in the process of moving because we couldn't afford to stay where we were in California anymore. So we ended up taking out a personal loan to fund issue two. And that wasn't something I could continue to justify you know, having a, a kid that I needed to take care of to keep taking personal loans out. So that's what made me finally turn to Kickstarter and go that route to being able to fund the books. Well, there's been a huge independent comic explosion uh, last, uh, last year, the year before, and continuing into this year, where people are sick of what the what the supposed big two, Marvel and DC, are, are, are pumping out, and they're just regurgitating the same same stuff. Uh, I'm sure Ryland will tell you there's really only 18 stories in superhero comics, and that's it. Uh, <laughs> you know, we we just change the names to protect the innocent and and <laughs> right. keep and keep moving on. Right. Um, change their outfits, maybe give them a different hairdo. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you, you change the. You, you flip the store, you flip the scripts around here and there, but eventually it's pretty much the same story told over and over, especially when they do, you know, big events. There's been, there's been certain big events in, in both Marvel and DC that have, that have actually stood out and, and were actually good. Right. But for the most part, most of their yearly events are kind of like, <laughs> and you know, They'll start. They'll start off really good and like boisterous, and by the end of the second issue, like, eh. Oh, uh, that's not good. You know, so <laughs> I mean, D DC's two best events have been Crisis on Infinite Earth from uh, George Perez mm -hmm. back in the eighties. Uh, and of course, he was thrilled because he literally got to draw every single character that DC ever created in those twelve issues at some point. Which is fabulous to be able to do that. Yeah, That's um, like a little boy's dream come true. <laughs> yeah, and he he got to you know he got to draw the death of a couple of major characters like uh, Barry Allen. The Flash died. Mm -hmm. Of course, nobody ever dies for good in comics. That's why. He's no, back. they never do. They always miraculously come back. You know. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, you know, Mar Marvel's had some, some great stories over the years as well, but people are tired of the same thing. And now when Marvel launches like a, Marvel likes to just keep regurgitating and start and kicking back off at like issue one all over again. Right. So now, uh, apparently all the big name writers and artists that work for Marvel and DC are so important that every time they, they switch and, or pick up another title, they have to start everything back over at number one again. 
the corporations do this because number ones outsell any other numbers in a run. Right. And it also gives them an excuse to uh, make the first issue bigger, uh, which usually consists of them just putting reprint material in the back. Oh, and, of and, course. And, and charging like, you know, anywhere from 12 to 24.99 for like the first issue, depending. It's yeah. like, oh, we're gonna make this prestige square bar bound extra glossy stock and- <laughs> Extra fancy paper. I'm like, I already own all this stuff. I don't need to reread this story from, you know, when I still had here and it was red, you know, I don't need that. <laughs> well, apparently they think you do. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, nowadays, uh, you know, this this is what makes me feel like an old guy. This is why last night I was on one of my other podcasts called OK Boomer, the podcast, where we just talk about old books where stuff used to be like 20 and 35 and 50 cents. Oh, yeah. For a book. You know, it was, it was only four color and it was on newsprint, but. Right. Hey, I was fine with that. And, you know. I know you use better materials there's there's you know high technique printing processes now and you know it it can look fantastic on the pages and i've got some books that it does look you know it's it's worth it to have have that book but a lot of people have come to find that they would rather invest in creators themselves on platforms like indiegogo and kickstarter right and get it, you know, direct from the talent. And that way they're not, you know, if somebody somebody falls in love with the duplicate, as I'm sure they will, because I, I got about three quarters of the way through the through the first book, so it was like 60 pages. Oh yeah, well the first book is the first two issues combined. Yeah, yeah. and then the second one is just the third issue. Oh, so I actually put the first issue. It started on the second, <laughs> and I was I was pleasantly surprised. I'm like, wow! I didn't expect it to go this direction. Oh, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> it's always good. You know, <laughs> well, when you can surprise an old guy like me, it's been a good day. Yay. <laughs> Sometimes I'll I'll have to sit for an hour and try to remember where I know the story from, but it'll it usually comes across. But yeah, I was, you know, I was pleasantly surprised that, you know, it, it went like in a, in a whole different twist. So it's people discovering new original ideas because most of the ideas coming out of uh, Kickstarter and Indiegogo campaigns, most publishers don't want to touch. They're, they're a lot a lot of the publishers are working a formula right and that's all they wanted well this is working right now right yeah but but we don't want to take a chance to see if it'll work better so yeah. <laughs> you know that you know that's what it is and you know I like the I like the uh, everything that small press has got going on right now uh, second site scout and fall and you know all the companies like that have, have got like great stuff but i find in the in the indie community coming coming out of the crowdfunding right those people are telling the stories they want to tell mm -hmm. and you know and it seems like even the small press companies they're not writing pseudo comic book stories they're taking their they're taking their scripts and they're adapting them to books and praying for amazon or netflix or whoever to want to pick it up to make a you know an animated series out of it a movie tv yeah. show anything and i'm like just make comics if it's a if it's a good if it's a good if it's a good story and they like it don't worry they'll pick it up because right. Hollywood has no new ideas, and and they want they want com they want new 
intellectual properties and the easiest way to get your intellectual property out there since the MCU exploded is a comic book. Yeah. You've, you've basically got uh, kind of like storyboarded pages only with much more complete, you know, completest art and it's, it's almost like, you know, holding up, holding up the old nine millimeter and looking up to the light. And, yeah, exactly. You know, go, go on like that. And it's just, uh, it's just, a, it's just a great way to go to, yeah. uh, you well, know, you to get stuff control. out there. You have total control over your, what you're doing in comics, mm -hmm. at least when you're an independent creator, you, you don't have to answer to anyone but yourself. Yeah, you get rid of the gatekeepers and you know you put it out there and you know like you you say you, you run your scripts by uh by ryland in the cruise and yes. uh yeah like, does this even sound good yeah pretty much i'm like is this crap <laughs> did i just totally you, mess know, <laughs> you know and there's a there's an artist that uh that i know from some of my friends podcasts and he is, you know, he's got he's got his own uh, production company and everything, and he's an amazing artist. But he's one of those artists that think everything he does is garbage. Right. <laughs> and I've seen some of his stuff, and I'm like, I'm amazed this guy hasn't been picked up to, you know, to just be like one of those cover art artists, like you know, Art Germ or uh, Clayton Crane that. Yeah, we're just gonna do like a pinup and put that on the cover. Okay, here's your forty grand. Okay, thank you. <laughs> right. And uh, I think it's more like thirty, but either way. Um, but you know, he think you know he'll he'll come on he'll come on one of the podcasts that we'll do and be like, yeah, here's something new I'm working on. It's garbage. Wow. I'm like I'm like, just send me your garbage. <laughs> I love your garbage. Send it to me. <laughs> because I will reopen my SD store tomorrow and post all this stuff up and have it sold. <laughs> he goes, well, if you can sell my stuff. I go, I can sell your stuff. I go, standard 10%, but <laughs> I can sell your stuff. So how, how did the... Uh, how did everything come together with uh, Second Sight? So I had just run my first campaign and I was starting to look for a publisher and I saw this article in Bleeding Cool about how Second Sight was open for submissions. And so it was like a Sunday afternoon and I was just like, all right, let's, you know, 15 minutes later, ring, ring. It was Spike calling me to be like, yeah, we want to get your book like right now. <laughs> which was awesome. And then I like, I talked to Bradley and Marcus that day. Like they were like, we want this book. We want to sign you. We love this book. And that was awesome. Cause I've never had that before. So that was pretty cool to have that level of enthusiasm. Well, that is for sure. Exciting. Cause, uh, I know I've seen multiple posts from, uh, Ross Ritchie go up and explain to people, that he can't look at any of your submissions because they're not accepting submissions. <laughs> right. So he can't even look at it. And he goes, and I, he goes, I feel bad because some of the stuff, look how beautiful this is. Right. Somebody, somebody put it, you know, it's a ring binder. Uh, and inside the ring binder is uh, just, you know, it's, it's supposedly according to the note that was on the outside includes art, uh, the script, uh, conception stuff, and you know, a whole bunch of you know, a whole bunch of other things. And it's bound and it's got gold leaf um, all over the outside, decorated and trunk wrapped. Right. And he's like, goes, if a publisher is accepting open submissions. Mm -hmm or submissions for a certain book. Then in that window, you could submit. 
until then, this is what I have to do. He goes, but Hey, I'm, I'm conscious. So, um, I'm recycling. I mean, he put them in the recycle bins. He goes, but he dumped, he dumped a stack like this big. Oh, that's heartbreaking. He goes, I legally can't look at them because if I look at them and one of our, one of our creative teams makes something even similarly, yeah. you know, even like, you know, a, three feet away from what your whole project idea was, uh, then, you know, we're open for libel and, uh, I get sued on a weekly basis already, so this yeah, is why. It is in film and TV. If yep. you haven't been requested, it's like everything. They don't even look at it. They'll send you a letter to be like, "We got it, and we had to throw it out." <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you you have to make sure that you know a company is actually taking submissions. Yeah. The, the problem is, is uh, nine out of ten times it's art submissions. And you lucked out with that one out of a hundred times of, yeah, we're looking for a writer. <laughs> okay, well here's here's my story. Do you like it? <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. It was definitely like, great. You know, like yep, a, we're gonna overnight the contract to you for tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. And like you know, at San Diego Comic Con, the portfolio review is typically just for artists. But the mm-hmm. last time that I went, which was the last time that they had it before everything went crazy, uh. Friction, which is a literary anthology, was doing portfolio review of writers. And so I met with them and I'm actually working with them on a 13 page short standalone comic that will go in one of their anthologies this coming year later, I think like December-ish, which we, the script is done. We just have to land on an artist and get that process going. Yeah, anthologies have been pretty good, pretty good this year too. There's yeah. been lots of lots of horror anthologies and uh I was in one. <laughs> which one were you in? I was in Nightmare Theater by Clay Adams and David Shaw. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. Had, I, I had Clay on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Clay actually builds all my Kickstarter pages for me. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah he's awesome. I wouldn't I like he I, he held my hand through the whole process on the first Kickstarter. I was like, what do I do? How do I do this? He was great. He's been such a huge support system for me yeah clay and david were on and we went through it and we had a we had a grand old time and then uh <laughs> one of the stories in there was was done by uh another friend of mine christy shin oh yeah christy yeah i've been on her show <laughs> yeah i i always know it's lunchtime in california when she comes on <laughs> and, right. and, and does her her uh live daily draws at uh like four o'clock my time, I go, oops, almost time for dinner. I got to get prepped up for tonight's show. <laughs> Who's on? Yeah, I'm hoping to do her show during my campaign. I just got to figure out the timing with having my husband watch the little guy. <sighs> yeah, that's that's always, uh, I remember having to do that when uh, I, had, I had gotten custody of my daughter years ago. So I was, I was raising her when she was little and then... Uh, my mother would watch her during the day while I worked my day job. And right. then she would just, you know, sleep. You know, my mother would stay at my house. And uh, on nights, I worked like a few nights a week uh, at nightclubs DJing. So, oh, there you go. She would, she would, you know, she would sleep over or the baby would just stay at her house. Right. And uh, that's great. You had that support system. You know, and then in, 2012 my mom passed oh gosh and then a good friend of mine said he goes goes, you know my sister babysits now that you know now that she's retired right she she just takes care of like you know a couple of kids and then a couple of kids just turned into just my daughter oh there you go (laughs) so you know so that uh that lasted up until the time i ended up in in the coma and you know, waking up a month or so later and Oh wow. That must have been you know, frightening. So yeah. So they're like, do you know what month it is? I'm like, February. He goes, Well, when you came in it was February. Right. It is now April 29th. I go, Oh gosh, that's two months. <laughs> but but there's a blizzard outside. He goes, Yeah, we know. <laughs> 
He goes, none of the staff has been home in two days. I'm like, <laughs> oh. But uh, yeah, so I, I I had the I had the support system, which I more than appreciated, and uh, which once my daughter started in uh, in preschool, because I lived in a town where I I was living and working in a town during the day where pretty much my mother's entire side of the family lived. Okay. And you know, you you need you know, one of the NASA computers to count my cousins, because <laughs> uh, we're like rabbits, apparently, but uh, <laughs> right. but uh, one of my one of my aunts, actually a cousin, my mother used to make me call all my cousins that were her cousins and much older than me would automatically graduate to being aunt and uncle. So okay. interesting. Got it. So uh <laughs> And uh, so she used to pick up my daughter from from preschool mm -hmm. along along with already having two of her grandkids there. And they wouldn't buy anything from the McDonald's, but they would go to the McDonald's and sit there and get free coffee refills. They would keep the cups from like the day before. <laughs> so the, adult, the adults would get free coffee and then they would just send the kids to play like in the ball pit or whatever. Send them to play. That's awesome. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> Well, you've got this free thing, and we're just here. And they they would always go into the time where none of the help could actually keep track. Right, right, right. Because they were like, you yeah. know, drive-throughs wrapped around the building twice, and there's like fifty <laughs> people. The there's like fifty kids inside at the counter, so you know they can't tell. It's like, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they're losing money on coffee. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, and the whole idea of that was hopefully to get the kids to exercise enough. That they would oh, go home. Out. That they would go home and fall asleep. <laughs> I learned the hard way that never works. That just make gives wow. them more energy. Yes. <laughs> yes. <sighs> yeah. My son's uh, most favorite time to run around and have a ton of energy is always at bedtime. He runs around and just runs on the beds, off the beds, around the room, jumping, screaming, dancing. That that's when he has his most energy. You have a cat. Yeah, pretty much. She's like a cat. Yeah. <laughs> I'll nap all day, and then when it's time to go to sleep, I'm going to run around like the wild man of Borneo. Oh, well, it's not that he's not doing that during the day. He just ups it another level at bedtime. Mm -hmm. So, like, a level where we're like, what? Did we just give him sugar and we don't remember it? Like, what just happens? <laughs> he, he popped open his, uh, his underdog ring and, and took the super <laughs> energy pill. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Me and my 50-year-old references. <laughs> so let me just pull this up because this is in previews. <laughs> Doink. So issue... One of three is in previews. One of five. They still have to fix that. Oh, that's that's the number you were talking about. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so it's five issues. It's five issues for the first arc. Yep. So yeah, that that's a that's a much bigger project than I was thinking about then. Yeah. Yeah. They they're supposed to fix it. I don't know when they're going to fix it, but they'll fix it eventually. <laughs> So, see, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a, a, a copy, cut, and paste to uh, the chat so people can remember. Because you put, if I put it in the show notes, mm -hmm. it'll be like, you know, the second they're done with it, they'll they'll forget about it. Right. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> That's for duplicate number one, everybody. And the code is Feb211508. And of course, all the creator credits in there. <laughs> and yeah, so uh, you're 
it's it slipped my mind because I keep hearing beeps from the other room because I bought a brand new tablet so I could I could relax because right. of, of the problems with my legs. So I can I can sit back in my recliner yeah. with a nice new big tablet and and read your book and 37 <laughs> other books I have to read this week right, for right. various shows <laughs> and and news news things that I'm putting together. Um, the, uh, the editor that, uh, said, this is not one book. This is many books. I've heard this story many times before. Uh, a friend of mine, Chuck Pineau is an editor on, he's an editor, writer. Uh, his wife is also an editor and writer. And he was the editor on one of the first Kickstarter books I bought at, at the beginning of last year when I first started doing this. Okay. I pretty much went bankrupt. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm on disability, you know, I'm right. disabled. So I'm, I'm on, I'm on SSI. So I have, you know, very limited funds and I kept forgetting that I was buying stuff because I checked my account and was, well, I thought I spent that, but it's still here, so I can buy more comics. And, <laughs> yep. and then I started getting bing, 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 all these it's nasty. Been, yeah, once they close and they start charging. <laughs> yeah, all these nasty reminders, and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> what have I done? You know, so I asked, I have a, I have a PCA that helps me, does the shopping and stuff for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, I've been friends with him for like four years now. And if I run short, he's like, he goes, if you need, if you need like extra money for something, just let me know. And I'll just, I can just get it when your check comes in the first. I'm like, okay. He goes, what do you need? I go, I need $213. He's like, what? <laughs> for what? Go, you know, those podcasts I'm doing? He goes, yeah. And I'm interviewing comic book creators. Yeah. And then during the interview, I fall in love with their projects. Yeah. I go, and then I go on Kickstarter and, and I, and I buy them and I forget that I bought them and then I spent the money. You need and to I, go on that, uh, what's it? I think it's like buy me a coffee site to help fund your Kickstarter habit. Well, I had, I had an, I had an idea at the very beginning before I got the, before I got the camera and started doing this, mm-hmm. uh, I interviewed, uh, Graham Nolan for his, uh, his last book that he uh, he soloed uh, the Chanu. Yep. And uh, I had actually met him at Rhode Island Comic Con, November twenty nineteen. So I was already you know pre talking about this, and uh, and it was just it was just weird because he was like, "Was when you start talking to everybody like this, you're gonna want to buy stuff from everybody." <laughs> And I just look, I, you know, I tilt my head like a stupid dog. <laughs> You're like, I will. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and he's like, he goes, Oh, trust me. Because when I'm not sitting behind the table and I get to walk around, I, I will easily, he's like, he goes, you will easily as a creator, if you, if you take a break from your table at San Diego and walk around, you will easily spend about a thousand dollars in like 20 minutes. Yeah. It's really hard to go in with a budget and not blow it in like the first 15 minutes. Yeah. It's, it, it's like fans walking into a show like that. Can't bring their credit cards with them. They have to bring cash only and, and be prepared because now you're that sucker at the carnival. <laughs> yeah. Because there's pretty much nothing under that roof that you don't want before you walk in the door. Yeah. And and it doesn't help that, you know, an eight ounce bottle of Coke is like thirty-seven fifty. So Oh, then it's gone down in price. Oh, it has. Well, I've, I've actually I've actually never been to California. It's a great convention, but San Diego's gotten so crowded. I was actually before 
the pandemic happened, I was contemplating just doing WonderCon last year instead of San Diego because it's, it's a little bit cheaper too to go to Anaheim than San Diego. Yeah, it's San Diego has just gotten so expensive. Uh, like even some of the even some of the dealers that have been there since like the very beginning have like dropped out. He goes, their their yeah. table prices are like so exorbitant. You know, can't I can't afford to go? Yeah, I've and, heard that. I've been hearing that a lot actually. Or it's just impossible to get a table. I know a lot of creators that just had a hard time. Like they missed out on one whole year of conventions at San Diego because they just couldn't get a table. New New York like jacked their rates on the on the tables a couple of years ago too. Um, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> you know, it it's New York. What do you expect? Pretty much. <laughs> you know, come to Boston. The last convention I went to before everything shut down was the one in Baltimore, and that one was great. What what's the Baltimore show? That's the one where they do the Ringo Awards. Oh yeah yeah. Yeah, so, and that was like the first convention I had been to since San Diego in the summer. So that was pretty awesome. And that, was, pretty that was the one where Ryland got his Ringo Award. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I go, I go, I, I'm pretty sure that's Ryland's favorite convention. <laughs> yeah, I was, sit, I was sitting with him at the table and they announced his name and he didn't get up. And I was like, you gotta get up. <laughs> oh, you're the one. I've heard the story before, but. Yeah, I'm the one. <laughs> now, now I could. Now I can now I can put a face to it. He goes, yeah, a friend of mine sitting next to me and go, that's you. That's you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go get your trophy. I know he was stunned. <laughs> Which, you know, of course you're gonna be. You're not expecting to hear your name. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, it's an honor to get nominated, but of course, you know, you wanna win. Yeah. You know, plain and simple, you know, it's like like got nominated, but then you look at like the people, like he's told me before, he goes, I didn't think there was any way in hell I was going to win. Cause I looked to see, you know, the names that I was up against that year. And I was like, yeah, I was nominated. That's great. Right. My name's up there. And now I can say, you know, Ringo nominated. He goes, yeah. Oh no, no, it's Ringo winner. Ringo winner. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty awesome. And that was one of the uh, projects that he had workshopped in the classes that I took with him. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's, that, that's always, that's always fun to do something that if you could flip something that you do in a class into, into real world experience and, uh, oh, you know, in the long run, get paid for it too. Yeah. You know, cause classes aren't cheap. No. <laughs> No, but I was, I, I, gosh, I don't even remember how the heck I paid for that class. I think I was working two jobs at times, so that probably was part of it. You work two or three jobs, just, yeah, you, you sell anything you have that's, that's worth any money. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, well, my car's almost dead. I can sell it now and just take the bus to work. And... <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I got, I got this great toy here that my kid hasn't spit on too much. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine that I'm fine that all my daughter's like old toys and she's like, you know, she's yelling at me, goes, anything you find of mine, I want in my room. I go, okay, well that seven foot trash bag over there is full of all your clothes from when you were four and a half and five. And then the, the two hampers over there. They're all clean. They were all washed and everything. You go, right, the right. two hampers over there, uh, you know, pretty much full of the same. And she's like, well, not the clothes. I wouldn't. She, her, one of her, her, one of her sisters is one of the fashionistas of the family. Wow. So, you know, if it, if it doesn't cost somebody like an arm and a leg right. to purchase, to purchase, you know, like a sweater. It's not a brand she would wear. <laughs> awesome. And That's she's a, she's a, she's addicted to hoodies because she's at the age where she, uh, with, with her anxiety and everything, she doesn't. She wants to be the invisible woman, basically. Right, right. She doesn't want to be seen. Uh, if she sees a picture of her up on the fridge, she'll take it and throw it in the trash. Oh. 
I have to guard photos. And uh, I had a friend of mine who's an airbrushed artist uh, airbrush a duplicate picture of her as a baby, like the first pictures I had taken of her, uh, and did it on a on a nice canvas for my mother for oh, nice. a, a birthday present one year. And of course, that's back here, so that's up there with like a couple other you know baby things of hers, and she keeps trying to go get it, and I'm like, no, you know. Her hands off, man. I'm like grabbing my cane and like hooking her arm to pull her back, like it's a vaudeville or something. Why? You're gonna have to do like what they do with the Mona Lisa and encase it in glass with like an alarm. Oh yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I'm gonna. I go. uh, I'll tell her. I go. Well, I'm I'm gonna look through and see if I can find my old paintball gun that Uncle Dave gave me. And, and tweaked up so it was very illegal to shoot anybody with it. <laughs> right. You know. That probably that sounds like the gun my husband probably used when he used to do paintballing. <laughs> well, my my friend used to work for Boston Paintball years ago. He's 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 since passed, but uh, I bought a gun one time, and I had it I had it like all painted up and and customized customized the stock course. You know, it's got Punisher stuff on it. And uh, he turned, he played with it and got the torque up. Because where I was living at the time, the house on the corner, the third floor apartment, you could actually, there was a door on the third floor that walked out onto the roof. They had a flat roof in the back. So all the kids would go up into that apartment and hang out on the roof and they would make ice they would make snowballs leaving there during the day and then late at night like after midnight they would go out and they would try to break people's windows <laughs> lovely <laughs> with with the ice balls awesome. so i used to take my paint balls and leave them in the freezer all day and they'll load up frozen paint balls yeah. because then there's no paint to splatter yeah what happens is they shatter like a like a glass marble shot out of a cannon, and they hurt. I was gonna say that does not feel good. <laughs> yeah, so they 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 broke they broke the windshield of my car once. Yikes! So then I used to I'd get home from work at like two three o'clock in the morning, and I would I would sit in the window, all the lights off, window up, even you know in the winter time. Right. All the wind blowing, and I'm like, oh, man, it's cold. Uh, and I would just sit there in my sniper's nest waiting for, waiting for him to throw stuff. And after the third time I nailed him, they, ne- they never did it again, luckily. Wow, it took him three times to get the hint? Jeez. Well, it was, it, was multiple, it was multiple kids, so. Right. But, you know, luckily I live in Mass where they have – they have like uh, there's a, there's a law that you know if something if something happens your insurance automatically has to pay for the uh, removal and replacement of any window on your automobile. Oh, good. That's good. You know, so it's like you know they charge you exorbitant rates already. So you know, at least I got something out of the deal. Right. <laughs> but right. you know, the last thing I wanted to do was get up you know two hours after I went to bed to to drive in the winter time during during a snowstorm with no with no windshield to, no yeah you don't want to be doing that. to a to a garage and tell them I go I'll give you an extra $200 if you get it done before lunch <laughs> so but you get the first issue of this coming out in February uh so the first issue, the pre-orders are now, and then it'll hit stores April 7th. Okay, so... It'll be can... a bi-monthly release for all the issues of the first arc. Okay, so the first arc's going to take place over the course of a year. Yeah. And then the, the Kickstarter for the fourth issue launches on February 2nd. So it goes to Kickstarter first, and then it goes to second site afterwards? Yeah, so Kickstarter is for me to pay my art team, to pay Mariana and Carlos, Layla and Owen to do their work and to also fund the printing and shipping that I do of the exclusive copies through Kickstarter. And then Second Sight handles the comic book store 
printing and shipping aspect. And so then, well, you know, we do, we do uh, different things with the issues to make it exclusive to the stores, so like different covers. I do a special letter to the fan for each issue that kind of gets into the behind the scenes stuff that I haven't discussed before. And then uh, there's, you know, differences with the art. So whatever's on Kickstarter is exclusive to Kickstarter and whatever's in the stores is exclusive to the stores. So completists will have to buy the Kickstarter issue and the one that comes to the store. So uh, what's the what's the cutoff date? For, for preview orders? Mm -hmm. I believe the end of the month, but I you know what that's a good question. I don't know if my publisher told me that. Uh, let's see. So the code is is FEB two eleven five oh eight. Mm -hmm. uh, it'll be on store shelves on April 7th. But I don't I don't see here where it gives it gives a cutoff date. So, I would imagine towards the middle end of the month, but I would have to check with my publisher on that. Yeah, is so this is the one that's in the previews auto form currently? Yes. Okay. So yeah, so this is good up until I, I think right around uh, Valentine's Day. Okay. Because like the 14th or 15th is is uh, of the month is usually the cutoff. I know that because every once in a while I'll get a I'll get a call to uh, can you just come and sit in your wheelchair behind the counter? I got to get the orders done. Sure. <laughs> You're fine. Put us. <laughs> Put a stack of books in front of me so I can read in between customers. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I had my uh, blast out to all the comic book stores this week in between launching the Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, there's there's some stores that are like really heavy on uh, you know independent creators. Mm-hmm that, you know, are, are big supporters of the indie community. And they'll usually work out some kind of deal with, with various people to, uh, you know, to get their, whatever, whatever deal you're offering to the, to the, you know, some kind of retailer tier for the, on the Kickstarter that you're offering. And they'll usually, you know, buy into that. I know the, uh, the collective down in uh, Florida, uh, and uh, they're they're huge on on indie books, and they're they're getting ready. They're just about to move into a a brand new, like extremely large store, and they they've got like an entire like end cap that uh, features features indie stuff, and then they've got like a wraparound like eight foot section, wow. and. And certain books, like if it's a book that they're featuring, like if it's got an exclusive cover for the store, right, uh, right, it gets featured and goes in a display on the front counter. So, oh, very nice. So everybody's going to look at it and see it every time right. they go in, and you know, punch out. And uh, uh, another store I know that's big into that as part of the comic book shopping network is is uh, the owner is Jen King. That's uh, Space Cadets out in Texas. Okay. I always throw those two names out because those are like the two biggest uh, stores I know of that go out of their way to support indie indie creators. That's awesome so that they do that's great. I'm so, so far away from a comic book store where I am. I'm at least a thirty to forty mile drive from any comic book store. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've, uh, my friend that I do the Boomer podcast with on Thursdays. He's the He's the same way. He has to. He has to just like pre-order. He pre-orders all this stuff from uh, DCBS, mm -hmm. and you know has to wait like a month in between. But he's got to, you know, just like a story, he's got to pay like three months in advance. I go, well, dude, if you're gonna do that, and they're gonna come damage to you anyhow because they're they're getting their stuff from previews, right? So why don't you just get a previews account? Oh yeah. Could he do that? That would be cool. <laughs> probably, probably could, but I think they've they've tightened up because there was so many people trying to open accounts. Right. 
you know, just with the fact that he goes, well, yeah, I'm a convention dealer. Yeah, that doesn't count. Uh, yeah. So now, now you have to have a brick and mortar and, and everything else. So he, go, he goes that way. But, you know, there's, there's, there's so many books that come out with, like, pretty covers. And as much as I complain about it, I, you know, I still go and buy them. <laughs> I don't even collect them and I buy them. And I'm like, why did I buy that? Oh, that cover looks so nice. You know, it's like the only, the only book from, from Marvel that I've bought in like the last two or three years has been uh, Immortal Hulk. Al Ewing's run on Immortal Hulk. Right. And, uh, but the other month when Alex Ross came out with the covers that mirrored that big, huge painting of all the Marvel characters that he did at the New York Marvel office before they were going to tear everything down. Mm -hmm. So he put like all the heads on like 32 different books. And I'm like, well, there's one book out of the 32 that I collect. But then I bought them all anyhow. I was going to say, you probably bought them all. <laughs> so, you know, I'm probably going to buy like those long frames that you can fit like four or five comics in. Yep, yep. yep. And I'm going to put like five in a row in and I'm going to tack <laughs> them up on the wall behind me so I have, you know, so I have a backdrop because I just got all the rest of my stuff delivered to me that was in storage at my friend's house. So, it's bad enough I live in a refurbished factory, but now it looks like I live in a warehouse because all you can see behind me are boxes. I, I just see your window, actually. It looks like behind you. Um, I, it's not a window. It looks like a window. <laughs> that's, that, that's not a window. Is it way, way in the corner? Yeah, it's, it's over. Is it behind the lamp? Yes, I think so. I don't know. From my angle, it looks like a window. It's probably not, though. It's not that that's actually the fuse box and it's the light from this big 45 inch screen. Oh, there you go. That's just shining off it. So it looks like a window. <laughs> I was like the two doors behind me to the right on the screen. Uh, the one furthest to the right is, is actually a coat closet. And the other one is actually the door to the hallway. <laughs> well, it's all right. I'm in my kid's bedroom at the moment. because It's the only wall that has the only room that has color on the wall. <laughs> I, I know the feeling. But either way, I want to thank you for for coming out and, and joining us and telling us more about how the duplicate came around. And uh, we hope to uh, see this on comic book shelves. But now everybody knows that they have to buy the Kickstarter <laughs> and the Second Sight Edition because <laughs> they're both going to be different. Both gonna be different. Yeah. <laughs> they're both gonna have exclusive covers, and they're both gonna have something exclusive to the interiors of them. Yep. That's the way to do it. <laughs> so, yeah, I know because uh, an another creator that I that I get to talk to, uh, Rich, whose uh, whose series is uh, one of the one of the Dracula's Cult of Dracula. Okay. Um. He had got picked up, uh, I think, by Second Sight. So they started they started putting his stuff out, plus his Kickstarter editions. Right. And then another publisher that, that came to him with a film deal. Oh, nice. Offered him another deal. And mm -hmm. so when the contract, when it came to the end of a, a the the point of the contract where he had the op out. He's like, I hope you don't take, you know, I hope you're not mad at me, but you know, they offered me this and uh, right. uh, this movie company just came and they want to make a movie. They want to make a movie out of this. And yeah, hard to turn that down, <laughs> you know? So it's, uh, you know, it's always good when it happens. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, but uh, everybody, please uh, check out Carla and you can find her on all social media at Musings by Crazed. Is, is, did, that come, did that handle come across after the baby? 
<laughs> no, my nickname in high school was Crazed, and then I just tagged on the musings by when I was in my 20s. <laughs> oh, okay. It was legit either way, so. <laughs> All parents are crazed, though, especially nowadays. Because <laughs> we're all yeah. bouncing off the walls in our houses. <laughs> I can't talk right now. School's in session. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know, so. But I want to thank you for coming out. Uh, all the best of luck with this series. And uh, we hope to see it on our on all our local comic shop stores. As well as uh, I'm sure I'll be notified when the Kickstarter comes around, so we can we can check out those. And uh, when I when I finish charging up my pad and I can finish uh, reading the double sized first issue, uh, I will feature it on one of my five minute reviews. Oh, fabulous! Thank you. So hopefully, hopefully uh, entice people to want to go out and and get both copies of every issue. So, uh, this this will be available uh, hopefully later on tonight, unless Streamyard messed up. They decided uh, earlier in the week that they were going to make all their audio downloads as as M4As instead of MP3s because it will be wow. faster. Okay. <laughs> but then people that download just the audio, like myself, are using it for their podcast branding. Right. And you can only use MP3s. Right. So <laughs> I was about to say, I'm like, mm. <laughs> hopefully they, they flipped everything back. Uh, and then this, uh, this episode will be available on uh, ageofradio.org. And I will, of course, drop, uh, drop all the, there's a, there's a Twitter link and a Facebook link and just a regular permalink that you can use everywhere. I'll, as long as they didn't mess it up again, I will uh, I will drop those to you in a, in a message uh, a little later on tonight. Fabulous. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Everybody, uh, read some comic books and have a great weekend. <laughs>